Welcome to Talking Far, Far Away. The Force is with you, young Skywalker. You are not a Jedi yet. Join Brick City Blockade as we discuss the canon of a galaxy far, far away. Hey guys, what's up? Welcome back to the BrickCityBlockade.com podcast network. That's right, it is talking far, far away. It's a beautiful evening here in New Hampshire, USA. But of course, sitting across the pond from me is a man who woke up nice and early to do his show. That's right, Mr. Scott Inch, the host of Talking Far, Far Away. Scott, how's it going over there bright and early in Scotland? It's going very well. The, the daylight is starting to creep through already. <laughs> that is always a wonderful way to start your day. Of course, starting our day with us, technically, is Mr. Ken Napsaw. Ken, welcome back onto the blockade, my friend. Hey, it's great to be back. I'm over here in boring Burbank, but <laughs> doing good. <laughs> oh, man, if I could just get a little taste of Cali at some point here, I'm feeling, feeling the vibes at some point here. But, Ken, um, it's so awesome to have you back on Talking Far, Far Away and you know, one thing Scott Inch and I, we, of course, Scott, you recently just came out of seeing Solo again, right? Yes, I've saw it three times now. Right. Yeah. And that, yeah. three's a nice number. Three is a real nice number to see a film. Scott, what were your uh, ideas coming out of it uh, specifically at this third time? Because I feel like with Solo, I think we can all agree to a certain extent, it's not a one-viewing film. You really have to dissect this thing, and you really have to experience all different elements around it. Yeah, I mean, the first time I saw it, I saw it the midnight show, and I'd, you kind of miss a few bits and pieces, especially at 12 o'clock at night when you're pretty tired. <laughs> so mm, yeah. a, sec, a second or third time is quite helpful to pick stuff up. I mean, I didn't get the, the ghost reference until the second time round, and I caught that the first time. It's, it's really, I really enjoy it. I thought Alden Ehrenreich did a really good job in the movie. Um, this guy had a lot of world on, uh, weight on the world on his shoulders, Mm. Um, taking on this role, and I think he pulled it off quite well. Yeah, there seems to be, Ken. I mean, when I was viewing the film, I mean, I've seen it now twice, and I feel like a third viewing is almost necessary because um, mm-hmm. there's just so much that happens in this film. And one of the things sometimes I say here at the Podcast Network, Scott Inch and I, we say, you know what, sometimes the best conversations happen before we hit the record button. And one of the things that we kind of talked about briefly, Ken, is the whole idea, like just the beginning, and Scott, coming out of your third viewing, I'm sure you really picked up on this too, is the feeling that you get from Solo. I mean, obviously Ron Howard worked behind the scenes with George, with American Graffiti, and Ken, there seems to be this tone that kind of envelops the first part of this film, and it's like, wow, you can really feel Ron Howard with this thing. Yeah, I think absolutely that was part of what they were trying to do. Without a doubt, even from early on, it was supposed to be a Dickensian type of uh, uh, industrial England type of thing where they're building the warships and now they're building the Star Destroyers. And I think original drafts had Han a little bit younger in that moment, but then you mm-hmm. age him up, you you have Kira there, and he's trying to you know impress Kira at the same time, even though she even back then was known for her, her knowledge and planning. And then, you know, Ron Howard comes in, and I think uh, without a doubt there's that connection to American Graffiti and Solo – being a young a hot shot at this t- at this time it all kind of worked out and and i really like that that vibe i you know lady proxima is a little bit different for me but the mm-hmm. design was great but a lot of what they were trying to do in that scene literally shining light in this dark world uh i, I enjoyed that a lot yeah scott one of the things and it's kind of funny ken you bring up lady proxima <laughs> it's it's like one of those parts of the films like 
we were leading up to, you know, Han obviously being introduced to somebody who is kind of behind the scenes, somebody who's running this this almost orphanage in a way on on mm-hmm. Karelia. And when Lady Proxima comes up, I'm kind of like, is it really Lady Proxima or is it Grandma Proxima? Because the way that she's <laughs> talking to him, it's it's kind of like, hey, buddy, you know, guess what? You didn't do your chores this evening. You're going to get in trouble for being that little rapscallion. And it's it's just a very different take on what I expected. And it's not that it's a negative thing, Scott, but I feel like it's just a very different way of looking at that scene. And it's not that it took it took anything away from it, but it's it's almost like, okay, what else could they have done there? I, and I think we wonder that as Star Wars fans sometimes. What are, what are your thoughts on that, Scott? It's not a bad scene. Um, no. It, it, was quite, it was quite dark. Was, I find it quite hard to try to see what she looked like a wee bit. Because mm. it was just a very dark scene. But it was just when... Um, I, I do, the, what I love about that scene is when Hans trying to get away and he's got a rock in his hand, and he's, like, clicking it. <laughs> yep. Yep. Dad just made it. She's like, you just made a clicking sound. No. He made a, a, a rock to throw through the window to shine some light. So, yeah, it was it was not a bad scene. And when the saw Lady Proxima, I was like, oh, it's a, it's a, like a big giant worm fish. <laughs> That's an interesting term, too, a worm fish. That's a, yeah. a, you know, obviously that's going to be a new term that we're going to use here at the podcast network <laughs> is the possibilities of wormfish being in the Star Wars universe. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. And, and Ken, I think the big thing mm-hmm. here, specifically I, the humor within that first piece, I, I think obviously we talked about it and obviously you've talked about it across the board on uh, what it, you know, of course, Force Center podcast and on Collider mm-hmm. Jedi Council, but What's fascinating to me is that, of course, we know that Lord and Miller was originally slated, and we heard all the stuff about, well, maybe there's just a little too much comedy associated with Solo, and that's why they made an ultimate decision in the long run to really bring Ron Howard on here and to focus it. Obviously, that's reports, that's things that we've heard. But in that moment when we do the little clicking thing, it's almost Mm -hmm. like there is a seriousness to Solo, but... It's funny because in that moment in the theater where I was, I don't know if any of you have experienced this when you went to go see it, but it wasn't necessarily, there were some adults laughing, but it was the kids in the theater that thought that that was absolutely Mm -hmm. hilarious. And I think the beginning of the film and even parts of it, there are some really dark tones in Solo, which I really love. But there Mm -hmm. are some moments where I think a kid could really be really enveloped into this universe once again, Ken. And and it's nice to see that balance with Solo in different sections. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, I, I I said think coming out of the theater the first time I saw that that this I was twelve when this movie was was going on I I would probably see it fifty times uh, yeah. before it left the theaters <laughs> because it has a lot of that old stuff and I think yeah the humor in Solo works generally really well there's only maybe a few miss miss beats or anything but humor humor's hard man you know it, it's such a, a subjective thing it's tough. Uh, you know, I did stand-up comedy about 10 years or so in L.A. It's just, it's it's brutal on your psyche just to actually make <laughs> right. it hit. Um, you know, and humor's effective for telling stories. I think some of the humor in, last, in The Last Jedi was so effective because it, intentionally it was by design to undercut some of the villains mm-hmm. and, and kind of make their motives seem so over-the-top and, and one-sided and, and self-centered because that's what they were. And Solo, it's a different kind of humor. And the humor from Han, particularly that clicky moment, I thought worked pretty well uh because it's like it's another han wild plan he's not sure how it's gonna work but he's got a plan it's gonna see how it's gonna go and then uh we were 
talking about on, on Force Center, Justice Grimshaw really kind of dug into this moment of Han literally bringing in light into this dark world, and it's uh, <sighs> the, the, the themes of survival, the themes of freedom uh, are all through Solo, so that's the stuff's there if you want to look. If you get hung up on, well, I, I, I knew Beckett was going to turn on him. Well, <laughs> cool, of course you did. Of course you did, but that's not the part of that's not the point. The journey, the journey, and the lessons are the point for this character of Han that we love, and it begins right there, even in that opening monologue. Monologue. <laughs> Think of it's like Letterman. Yeah, opening. <laughs> uh, cold open, yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting point, Scott. I mean, and I'm just even thinking along the lines of, and, and Ken, you said it beautifully. It really is, and Joseph Scrimshaw, I, I, the recent episode that you guys did and some of the solo stuff that you did at Force Center was fantastic, and I remember him saying that. And it's so great how there are sections throughout Solo, and I feel like you bring it up too, Ken, The Last Jedi itself. This is just such a new look to Star Wars. Um, obviously, of course, we're being reintroduced to this universe. This is something that we are finally coming back to. George did it in a very different way than a lot of these other directors have decided to take their path with introducing these concepts, but they're still there for us. And Scott, I think Solo does a nice job of saying, you know what? And the big lesson that I got from it was, hold on a second. It's great to have an alternative plan, but guys, make sure that you think about it before you execute it. Make sure that when you have an idea, make sure that it's it's foolproof and that you're going to run with it. But it's also the courage piece of, you know what, take that step forward and try it. You know, see what happens and be that hero in that moment if you can be. And Scott, I, I think that these themes are just something universal. And of course, with the fandom right now where it's at, I think that it's a really great time to kind of not just look at Solo in the directorial sense, but just to look at it in the message sense. That, of course, there's a divide associated with it, but it's so important that we look at it as more than that. That we look at it as a way of motivating actions within younger people even yeah i mean to me so there's a a wee bit of positivity Mm -hmm. to what's going on uh there's a lot of things about like always take risks i mean han took many risks i mean the same way he joins the empire that's a risk to get away from corellia joining beckett and his crew that's a risk there even like the, near the end, like Effie's nest, that was a risk there, but he he won that risk. So it basically says to me, like there's always risks in what you do. Ken, let's talk about this for a second because the one character mm-hmm. that really stood out for me in this film, and I did not expect it, was Emphis Nest. It's a character that I felt when we were first introduced to them, I'm like, oh, okay, here we go. Space pirates. Where's Hondo? Where, where's, where's, sure. where's, the, where's the rest of them? And as we continued into this film, and of course we get the ultimate reveal at the end of who Emphis Nest is. Obviously it's nothing big, but it's the message that Emphis Nest sends. And there's just something about that character. I don't know how you feel about Emphis Nest, but obviously in the background we see two tubes show up. We see some of these other people that obviously play a little bit into what Rogue One is all about, a very similar, mm-hmm. some similar concepts. What did that character do for you? 
I actually really, really love the character of Emphis Ness, and I loved uh, loved her more the second time around. Mm. I think the first time when you see these movies, you're still you're you're just kind of like, whoa, what what's happening? It's new Star Wars. I'm taking it in beat by beat. So the, the second and third viewings are just great for, for a fan to kind of sit back and you know it's coming. You can dig in a little bit more. So the character of Emphis Ness, uh, other one, otherwise just has one of the the coolest designs in all of Star yes. Wars history. That's absolutely it. But what you're talking about with the Marauders, with tubes, we don't know if it's Idria or Benthic yet. It's just a mm-hmm. character called Tubes. Yeah. Uh, we- Weasel connected from Phantom Menace. That's uh, you know, Warwick Davis's character. It's just this kind of... Uh, uh, you know, gang that is, I talk about survival, but it's survival for the, for the ultimate goal of freedom. And that is what they're, they're doing here. And I, I've had a lot of people say off air conversations, well, you know, why, if they're the good guys, why are they, they're doing bad things? And it's like, this is a setup for the partisans. This is a setup yes. for what it took to start the rebellion. We grew up, I think, in a, as a generation or different generations of Star Wars fans thinking the re- rebellion just had a couple meetings. Someone brought some snacks and they decided to form an <laughs> army right. and take down the empire. They don't, you know, that's not what really would have happened. That's not what might have happened. And so what you would see is this idea of the partisans doing very violent things at what they believe is a, a needed needed action and needed cost. And you see the Marauders, uh, the Cloud Riders, doing what they have to do to survive for what they think is right. And I think in that moment, the reveal with Aaron Kellerman, who is who's playing Infos Nest so well, in that moment, it's her saying, probably learning a lesson from her mother wore the mask be- before her, and it's, it's she saw something in Solo, she saw something in the people in front of her, like, it's time to be real, time to be truthful. And I think it's one of the more powerful moments because Han's not ready. Han, Han is connected mm-hmm. to people and to what is right, but he is not yet convinced and does not want to be convinced that he's the good guy. That's one of the key scenes in this movie is Kira telling him you're the good guy. It is Han's battle for the next 40 years until the moment he dies. He does not want to believe he's a good guy because he wants to believe he's some image. He struggles with it, struggles mm-hmm. with all of it. So I love the character of Infant's Nest because she's like represents – you know, at the end of the movie, it's almost like Han a New Hope, right? When he turns yeah. around to, to deal with Luke and to help Luke. He wasn't necessarily helping the rebellion. They seemed no. good. He was helping Luke. He liked that kid. Yes. He liked that he was connected. Here he is connected to Infus Nest, who now has a mask off and is saying, here's who we are. Help us do the right thing. He likes that. He's not ready to commit to the bigger goal. And that's why I think Infus Nest is a real important character. And intriguing, too. Now we have this history. She even has what we think is her daughter at yeah. her side that might be another character that goes forward. I, I want an Infus Nest book. Give it to me. Yes. I want to hear the story. There has to be something, Scott. I mean, again, you said it beautifully. I mean, the, the, what Infus Nest brought out in Han Solo is a common theme with him throughout. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's amazing that this film has now shown us really where the origins of Han's feelings for not just survival, but like Kira said, you're the good guy. You're somebody who's always going to find a way to help out those who are on the good side throughout your life. And even with The Force Awakens more specifically, I mean, he was thinking about dropping Rey and Finn off at one point and just saying, Mm -hmm. you're done. No, he was convinced by Finn and Rey to say, you know what, this is your fight, buddy. In in a way, I kind of reflected on that after hearing that. It's like, wow, they convinced him to get back into this fight because he's been in this fight since then. 
it was Emphis Ness that really got him motivated and what Kira said to get him to where he was. And it's so great, Ken, when we can reflect upon all of that. And like you said, mm-hmm. I think there's just so much more to that character of Emphis Nest than a lot of people are even discussing right now. It's amazing yep. how many podcasts I listen to and how many, you know, YouTubers I watch and they go through Solo Scott and they go through this entire discussion about Solo. I can only name probably two podcasts that have brought up the name of Emphis Nest in discussion that have really broken her down for what she is. And I think like Ken says, there is just so much canon that you could break down with this character that would be absolutely amazing. Yeah, I think the going forward there will be more. I mean, I'm hoping over the next few months and oh, right up until celebration next year we get maybe an, an announcement that there is going to be a novel about this character and mm. see where she leads and where she goes and how they are part of the rebellion, if how they play a part in it. Because we all we know even from rebels, there's all different sets, uh, factions that don't even work in with the rebellion mm-hmm. at all. So it'd be interesting yeah, I, I mean, to see. Oh, sorry, Ken. No, no, I just I don't, I don't even, I don't even think the Cloud Riders are what is. It's not like you know her line of rebellion is a ton, It makes you go, ah, here's what it is. But it's not like they are part of the the you know how the Ghost and and Ezra and everyone is part of the Phoenix Squadron or anything. There's mm. the, this is the the big enemy, and I keep hearing, well, there's the, the end. There's no real enemy in Solo. Dryden mm. Boss isn't a great enemy. No, the enemy is the Empire. The yes. enemy is the Empire in control of this galaxy, taking a wealthy planet like Corellia and turning it into a dirty factory planet, pushing and creating these pockets of crime, creating and allowing Crimson Dawn and all these organizations to grow and fester. Jabba the Hutt, the Huts, all that yeah. kind of stuff. They are the em- They are the Empire. They're the enemy. Yeah. And and that it creates these other pockets of resistance uh, mm-hmm. with Enfys Ness and and uh, the partisans later on and others. Yeah, I mean that's that's exactly it, Scott. You were kind of touched upon it, Ken. You said it right there. I mean the big piece here and what has me fascinated about what the message of Enfys Nest is and and everything going forward. And you guys bring that this up specifically. It's these pockets. And the ultimate enemy is the Empire. The, they are the influencer behind why all these other actions are happening. And it, it just it's amazing to see where these pockets are starting to show up in canon and the way that Star Wars, Lucasfilm, Disney, is, 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 it's all the same thing. But the way that they're, <laughs> yeah, yeah. they're, they're handling, just splitting this apart, and then I'm telling you, I would love to see them just bring it all together at some point. I mean... It would be just great to even see, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but let's start seeing characters, because we talk about it all the time on Talking Far, Far Away, where it's a canon kind of based show, but it's it's taking these characters now, like Emphis Nest, and it's taking people like Saw Gerrera. Was there ever any interaction between Emphis Nest and Saw Gerrera? Because obviously Emphis has a very different approach, yet somewhat similar to Saw Gerrera in some way. I, I just don't know. There's got to be this ultimate bridging gap that they're working on, on, on bringing these people together and bringing all different sectors of these, almost res- like you said, Ken, or resistance, this ultimate resistance against the Empire and just having them have those little bits, bits and pieces of interactions. We saw it with Rebels, with Mon Mothma and Saw Gerrera. We saw that that interaction happened between somewhat the more well-organized rebellion and what Saw was doing. In Star Wars Rebels, and we knew it was there somewhere, but we finally got introduced to it in Rebels, and I'm telling you, it's amazing with all of the things coming up, 
I really do hope that we get to see interactions similar to that. Scott, do you feel the same way about that? Yeah, I do. I feel to even connect in this universe even more tighter within the canons to see saw interact with if it's nest um and other people in the rebellion uh, other people within the galaxy because i still feel it's a bit too separate a wee bit we just got it in rebels a wee bit but i would like to, to see it come together like you know what i mean they yeah just come together and even it probably better either in a comic or a book mm-hmm mm. Yeah, there's so many different formats, Ken, that they could do this. And it's fascinating. You know, you bring up a great point, and I think it's one that we can even talk about even further here, and it's more along the lines of we're being introduced to these characters now in these spin-off films even. And we're, you know, obviously, I'm going to say it, Captain Phasma, listen, a character, you utilize Gwendolyn Christie, and then she dies twice in a film and comes back. I mean, it's kind of like, all right, what what are we going to do here? What, what's going to happen mm-hmm. with Phasma? And I love what Delia S. Dawson did with the novel myself. I really love just a little bit of that backstory. The comic did little things here yeah. and there. But to what happened to Captain Phasma in The Last Jedi, it, it's kind of like, all right, what, is this what we're going to start doing with these secondary characters, really? Because she was part of the First Order. She was the one who was training this new rise of troopers that and eventually took, you know, obviously converted itself from the Empire to the First Order at one point. And it's fascinating because we see a character like Captain Phasma, who is, is a fantastic character, I felt originally, within The Force Awakens when we first saw her. It was like, wow, look at this great you know, shiny character. Of course, shiny is a big thing in Star Wars. Um, But then you see somebody like Emphis Nest, and then you start seeing some of these other secondary characters. And it's great that, I'm going to say it, it's great that they didn't kill off Emphis Nest in this, because (laughs) it's kind of like, all right, so you do have a plan with this character. That's that's how I look at it, Ken. You, you didn't eliminate this character from Solo. You didn't decide to really put them on the shelf. They're going to go on their own journey now because they received what they wanted. And she clearly stated, this is going to be a huge help to the cause. And mm-hmm. the way that that progresses, and my connection to Phasma is, you utilize a character like that, and then you go to an Emphis Nest. And I'm just curious where the balance is going to be with these secondary characters. Do you feel that we could see... Obviously, I don't necessarily want to see Phasma back in <laughs> episode yeah, 9. Nine. Get away. You'd really have to explain that one. But yeah. at this point, where do you see secondary characters going here in Star Wars? Because they seem to throw some of them aside, the ones that seem to be grabbing the most attention, and then they add a little bit of light to these ones that we don't expect which is very mm. fascinating, Ken. I think uh, we, we have to keep in mind, too, a lot of these books and novels and, uh, and comics, uh, I guess books and novels are the same thing, but we got to talk about some of the other ones, right. not just the novels. Um, and the comics are written after the fact, and they're written to tie back into the movies. So the movies come first, the development of the movies comes first. Sure. So you see in Last Jedi that, all right, Phasma's helmet uh, comes slightly exposed, which I believe was... The note from Daisy Ridley to Ryan Johnson: Don't expose her entire her entire face. So, so Dallas yeah. Dawson writes a a great book and and kind of fills that stuff in there. A lot of it comes out of that. So they mm. have the ability to kind of look at these characters and and see. I don't I don't feel personally they have a giant plan for Infus Nest, but I think they could now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where they look at it, go ah that that worked that hit. Let's see. People want to explore this character a little bit more. So I absolutely think you will see some some stuff uh, 
maybe tying it all together. I, I love the fertile ground of the years between Revenge of the Sith and New Hope. Those 19 years are, are to me, are my favorite part of Star Wars mm. storytelling. Uh, it's the Empire versus the rest of the galaxy, and, and I, think, I think you could see something there, yeah. Scott, I know you're the, you're the big canon book guy. I, you and I recently talked about this. I mean, obviously, we're talking about what John Favreau um, has planned within. Of course, can you bring it up that that time span? There's so much planned now within there that I, I'm starting to wonder. And I brought this up on a podcast and I in a podcast episode specifically. Scott, I talked with you about it even a little bit. Right around where these novels are starting to fall in and. I, I'm fascinated because obviously Chuck Wendig put out a very fascinating series of three books. We're talking about uh, Empire's End, we're talking about Life Debt, and we're talking about um, the first Aftermath book itself. And it's such an interesting three-book series because it covers such a specific time. I mean, of course, Life Debt talks a little bit more about what's going on with Chewie and Han, and it's a little bit separate. But, I mean, more specifically around Empire's End, even. When we're looking at what Favreau's developing, what is the exact time? I, of course, I should write these down in my notes. What is that exact time that Favreau's working with? Is it five years before The Force Awakens or five years after Return of the Jedi? Uh, it, it, yeah, go ahead, Scott. I thought it was seven. Was it seven? seven years? Yeah, it's like seven years after the Battle of Yavin. Ooh. Um, yeah. So it's roughly, that's roughly, depending on what, what timeline you believe about the Galactic Civil War, you're looking at two to three years after the the events of Return of the Jedi, which is maybe six months, a year or so after the events of the Aftermath novel. Yeah. Uh, and the Battle of Jakku and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, which is fascinating. I, I had heard originally that it was before the Battle of Yavin, but, you know, that's one thing about news rumors. You, you have to wait till they're announced. So I, I knew it was going to be roughly around this time, I thought, from a lot of things I was hearing. So I'm excited about it uh, to see, what's, uh, see the grand uh, new republic be built. Well, yeah, that, and that's what's fascinating and, and why I bring up what Chuck Wendig did with his novels is obviously we see a lot of, at times, what's going on behind the scenes with politics. And, of course, Ken, I know, I don't, I don't know, Star Wars politics. I love Star Wars politics. I love the stuff yeah. that's happening within, obviously, the foundation of the New Republic. Obviously, we see with Bloodline by Claudia Gray, a wonderful novel. There's a lot of stuff, Scott, that even that does with the politics of what Leia is going through you know, obviously taking over her role. But it's fascinating because within that timeline, there are so much, there is so much politics happening in the Star Wars universe, Scott. I feel like Favreau's series really does have to not only give us that real hardcore Star Wars feel, but I do want to see some politics in it. Yeah, I mean, the Aftermath trilogy basically dealt with a lot of politics. And you can see that, not everybody was happy with the way Mon Mothra was doing things, like there was planets and systems that were like, I don't want to do this. And it was quite dicey. I mean, there was even an assassination attempt, but that was by the Empire. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think what, when in the John Favreau series, I would love to see the politics and that and how, how everybody started to agree again and tried to make sure that something like the Empire would never happen again. And even with, as sure as mentioned, the one of the books um, that not to have like the Republic uh, Senate on one planet, have it moving around, which works better because everybody then it's the, the, the chancellor will know what's happening on each of the planets and not having it on one where like Coruscant was like posh and grand, Mm. grandiose um, our planets were suffering. 
even before the, uh, the Empire rise. So, yeah, I think that's possible that what we could see in the John Favreau series. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting point. I mean, even along the lines of, I mean, I was even thinking about it in my head. It's like, okay, so basically, what Star Wars is dealing with with the canon timeline, if we're talking about the politics of that time. I mean, the first thing I think about is like, okay, what did America do after after the American Revolution? You know, obviously they all sat down, they came up with this grand thing called the United States Constitution, and they all signed it. And it's kind of like, do I want to see that in Star Wars a little bit with with this foundation of the New Republic? I'm I'm kind of like, yeah, I kind of want to be, I kind of want to see General Leia be like the George Washington sitting at the front of the room, being the one trying to set the foundation for what the New Republic was. That's the kind of politics. It, am I asking for a Hamilton in Star Wars? Maybe a little bit, but it, I, I think that that would be a fascinating approach, Ken, to doing Star Wars. It's it, let's let's almost make it a little bit not to not to say Hamilton, but I, I'm even thinking about the lines of taking the politics of Star Wars and really bringing it down to the core of how people understand even modern politics, making it. Really, really interesting, but also giving us the stuff that fans love. I think it would be a very fascinating approach. Yeah, I think a lot of things uh, here, I th- it's actually one of the criticisms I have of The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi, two movies that I love, is that you didn't get a lot of the state of the world, the state of the galaxy at that time, and, and that left a lot of casual fans confused, particularly ones coming out of Force Awakens, and mm. I got the decision. I think a lot of the, the prequels get this bum rap of Senate hearings and all that stuff. I think it's really interesting, but that's just me. I'm a nutball. Um, <laughs> but uh, So I, I got why Force Awakens was pared down. The, the Corsella on the balcony next to Chancellor Vilchem dying because Leia said her there for one final plea oh, yeah. to have the government believe her that there was a threat coming is fascinating to me it's five yeah. seconds in the movie um that there and then last jedi i actually love decision that it happens days after force awakens i'm not i, I get it but I, I you know i think people want to have a sense of it more but you go read claudia gray's novels you get it there uh, chuck wendex aftermath i was one of the big successes of that of that trilogy of novels yeah. is is the state of the galaxy after everything crumbles uh i think poor Poor Chuck had was up against this. It's the sequel to Return of the Jedi, like <laughs> right. Timothy Zahn's novel. It's like where where's Luke and Leia and everybody? Oh, you got these other people. And he wrote these fascinating characters and fascinating tale of what the galaxy would actually be like at that yeah. time. And, and politics belong in Star Wars. George Lucas gave us cuddly little cuddly little teddy bears and like everyone liked the teddy bears. Good. <laughs> this is an allegory for the Vietnam War. Yes, essentially. Like, and, I mean, he he said it because there's an interview with James Cameron. He says it. It was me talking about the American army losing to the Viet Cong. That was what the Battle of Endor was. And it was also a little bit about the American Revolution. So lessons in these big empires going against, uh, you know, people more resourceful and all this kind of stuff. It's fat. Jennifer covered it in Happy Beeps on on Force Center last week. Mm -hmm. It is fascinating. George is like, no. That was Vietnam. And people are like, I keep the politics out of Star Wars. It's fascinating. (laughs) It's interested. It's interesting, and it helps uh, fill out the the flavor of the galaxy a little bit more. Why 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 there is a rebellion against the empire? You know, mm. Scott. They're all common themes that you and I discuss all the time when it comes yeah. to uh, just just the world in which we live in. I I feel like people sometimes. And it's great to say this. I mean, Star Wars gives us a history lesson in, in many yeah. ways. I mean. What the one of the best things and one of my favorite things to do, Scott, is to of course I'm a huge American Revolutionary War buff. I can give you every yeah. major battle date in between 1776 and <laughs> 1781. But good man, it, it's it's one of those things that there, there's there's fascinating points throughout Star Wars that I look at it what that I look at specifically, 
And I was even thinking about the scene from The Last Jedi when we see Poe Dameron and, and the Dreadnought specifically. And I'm looking at it and I'm kind of like, all right, this this was kind of like the reverse of the crossing of the Delaware. This was yeah. like the final plea by the resistance to try to defend what they had. And they won. They finally came out of it the way that they wanted to be. There, there was the Hessians on the other side of the Delaware River. But you know what? They finally got across in the middle of the winter and they solved their problem. And it's fascinating that there are certain things throughout the Star Wars universe, Scott. I, I know there are certain things, of course, with history. You and I always discuss, you know, the American politics and everything happening in the world. And Star Wars does such a nice job of just taking bits and pieces of it, like Ken said, and just kind of throwing us in and saying, you know what, these are references to things that we've really experienced, not just right now in life, but things that have happened in history that we kind of just have to hearken back to at times. Yeah, I mean, Star Wars is pretty good for that. And another franchise, or the enemy franchise, shall we say, is Star Trek. That's done it really well as well. You go back to the classic series, you've got like, the race stuff going on there. But yeah, Star Wars is pretty good at like reminding us, remember this happened in the real world mm. and it could happen again. Um, yeah. we're, we're starting to see, I mean, the Empire could be, it's, it's pretty much the Nazis in my mind. Essentially. Yeah. Um, well, how, and, and Yeah, for, and First Orders was was absolutely based by, from JJ on the uh, the Nazis going, uh, you know, South America restarting, neo-Nazis, all the stuff. That absolutely were. You're, you're so right. Exactly. Um, so it's, it's quite worrying that I, I feel like it, it, I've seen the First Order being the Nazis and, and the Empire, that it could happen again. Mm-hmm. We, mm-hmm. we could be heading down that path and the way the world is sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, and... Yeah. It, it's fascinating even to the certain to this extent that star wars is such a great job or does overall i mean it doesn't matter which film it is whether you're talking about the original trilogy whether you're talking about the prequels whether you're talking about all these new films of just really taking escapism to the next level but reminding us that even when you walk outside of the theater these similar themes can sometimes play themselves out in the real world and it's just so great to see that Star Wars hasn't lost that. I think a lot of the concern amongst fans heading into the Disney regime, you could say, was that, okay, some of the themes of Star Wars were going to get turned a little bit. I think everybody in 2012, when they heard that you know Disney was going to buy Lucasfilm and Star Wars was going to be taken on by Disney, a lot of people, of course, on social media were like, oh, Disney, the evil empire. No, it's not mm-hmm. that in, in any kind of way. They took it and they said, okay, which themes can we carry forward still? And I say this to this date, Ken, I don't know how you feel about this specifically, mm. but I say this all the time to the people at the podcast network. George sat down in that meeting with Disney and said, this is what I would have done with Star Wars going forward if I wanted to continue to do it this way. And I totally believe, I totally believe that in that conversation, he said, here is a layout for what you guys should do before signing that contract. Here is what I would love to see you do with Star Wars. And of course, Uncle George finds his way behind the scenes in certain places. Of course, Uncle George still oversees, Mm. even if he just pops his head in. I know SNL did a great job of just having George kind of, you know, (laughs) who was it, Bobby Moynihan, uh, just kind of walking through uh, different sections of uh, what he would probably be doing behind the scenes. But I I Mm. always say it. There is something more to the grand scheme 
of what Disney is doing here with Star Wars. And I, I say this because there's just so much negativity right now in the community. And everybody has their right to an opinion. And everybody has their right to share it out there because that's what the social media platform is for. But in a way, we have to remind ourselves that Disney and the entire team there has something there for us. It's just we wait our time out and we see where it goes. Do you feel the same way about that, Ken? Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of interesting behind the scenes stuff. I'm sure one day we'll get some tell all book. There's absolutely drama. There's drama at any place. Anybody works. True. We know that, but I, I think overall it's what, what is the DNA of star Wars? That's the mm. big question. And, uh, you know, in that documentary, the director and the Jedi, Kathleen Kennedy oh, yes. talks about it, talks about the DNA of star Wars and what it was, uh, I've said it before. I think you've said it on the show last time I was on. They had George talking about this is about uh, speaking to 12-year-olds on the cusp of adulthood and presenting them with all these choices, good and bad. Here's what will happen. Here's a, It's a morality play. It's what why New Hope hit so big. It was yeah. simply a hero's journey. And George was just, you know, I like Flash Gordon, Joseph Campbell, and Hidden Fortress. Let's throw it in a blender and put it in space. Here we go. Um, and that that is the DNA, the, 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 the heart of Star Wars, is that and I think Disney has done a, a really good job of that. Can can you go down in the line and nitpick? Yeah, absolutely. Of Last Jedi is my second favorite Star Wars film. I tune out when the father years race, but you know what? That also means something. <laughs> right. You know, the scene means something. I, I love the prequels. I have a prequels t shirt for sale in T Public. But you there know, you I go. understand all the problems. But you know, also in that Vietnam allegory in Return of the Jedi, the franchise that we love the good guys predictably b blow up a space moon for the second time and a bunch of teddy bears <laughs> dance and celebrate. So Star <laughs> Wars right. is pretty silly also. Um, I think Disney's done a really good job in finding the core. Some things change. Mm. I don't think it's as, as structured as we'd like it to be at True. times. I think there's some creativity to each director, and that can breed its own problems. Mm -hmm. But I'd rather have that than Marvel. I'd rather have a Marvel director going, I, I got the set and everything was planned for me, and I have more free time in my life than I ever had before, mm -hmm. um, uh, which is a quote I've heard, by the way, by someone I won't say. So um, <laughs> I, I, I think uh, I like what's going on, and I'm curious to see what's going on. We'll see, you know, there's no doubt Solo struggled for myriad reasons. Sure. That's a different conversation in a two-hour podcast, I'm sure. <laughs> yes. But that you have to look at what is the core of Star Wars. What is at its DNA at its base level, and that is what is very much present in these movies. Couldn't have said any better. I mean, obviously, you brought it up, Ken. I mean, there's just so much in terms of Star Wars that, of course, you said it again, the nitpicky stuff. I think, it, just as fans, I think we just do that. I, I think it's natural to go into the theater and to look at a film critically. I think it's so important that we do that. And I think that, you know, obviously, like you said, the Disney regime, they're going to do what they need to do with Star Wars. And mm -hmm. like, we, like you said, too, you make some fantastic points. There mm -hmm. is a lot of things that are scripted and there are things that are planned behind the scenes it's just we don't know it and would we like it a little bit more organized much like we see some of these other franchises yes we would because it makes a lot of sense scott it makes a lot of sense to say we have this 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 and this these are the people behind it this is what to expect this is you know it's it's nice to have that and the one thing that i think is big coming out of this conversation out of this episode is the whole concept of we have all these things we would like to see. Star Wars is alive and well. People are buying celebration tickets. They're meeting each other in Chicago. And it's going it's going to be fascinating to see as we move forward. Because we do have a period of time here, Scott. 
in Ken. Mm -hmm. We do have a period of time that we're dealing with leading up to Celebration where now Disney has to say, okay, are we going to let these next, what, 10, almost, you know, almost a full year go by here, a little bit less, but just let it go by and not say anything? Obviously, they're going to have to spread some love across this time. They're going to have to give us little tidbits. They're going to have to give us little things to say, okay, Star Wars is still here and it's still moving. And it's going to be a fascinating process, Scott, to watch as Star Wars fans. And and I can't wait to see really what they have planned here. Let's start seeing some of that. Well, Tim, we've kind of seen some of it coming already with the, the animated series. So that will keep us going <laughs> Keep our appetites going for a moment. But yeah, I'd like to hopefully hear some announcements about what's coming up post episode 9. Even though we know who, that we've got the Game of Thrones guys, we've got the Ryan Johnson trilogy, the TV show, but we don't really know. I mean, Boba Fett was talked about and reported in, was it the Hollywood Reporter last time, last week? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mangle, he he's been working on that for years, by the way. Um so <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, there's there's that kind of stuff already in the hopper. Yeah, that yeah, makes sense. And like the Obi Wan Wells, everybody's wanting Obi Wan, so it's just a case of until we get some confirmation about what we're actually going to get post uh, two thousand nineteen. Yeah. I'm just gonna keep like my anticipation just a bit low because as you said it can uh, Solo hasn't done quite as well as they expected. I think we could, mm. as you said, two hours discussion on that one. I think we'll do. I just rather just wait until celebration until we get right. This is what they're doing. Let me just text uh, nitpicks here and there uh, to the Star Wars show, but I'd rather wait till celebration till we get right. This is the slate, like what Marvel did uh, about three, four years ago when mm-hmm. they announced Phase Three. I'd rather wait till we get something like that. Yeah, I, I think Lucasfilm does need to do some kind of uh, El Capitan announcement of here's what's going on. I just don't think they have that planned yet, uh, which, again, is part of what, what you hear, what's going on. But I, I always concentrate on what is on the screen in front of me. I, I don't watch from out in front of these movies. I watch mm-hmm. from behind and, and I take it as they go and go, here's the story. What are the lessons? What does it connect to? Uh, how does it connect to the bigger Star Wars story? And that, that's how I love to watch it. Um, it's nice sometimes to not talk about all the news and rumors and all that. Kind of stuff. Some of it's there, you know. It's it's like they'll announce. I don't, you know, if you know, if you believe Mangle just started working last week on that script, you know, uh, I'll, I'll sell you some some swampland in Florida or or some uh, uh, fear of fourth land up there in uh, the UK. There, um, he, he he's been working on that for a while. The Obi Wan script's been done for a while. It's just a matter of what they want to do and and things written in pencil more than pen. And and we're gonna get some cool stuff down the line man and we got a kids show coming out i think with yes. resistance yeah. uh you've got uh, favreau series that streaming service is going to be i think a lot more original star wars programming on there than people uh, realize and it's going to be fun man and i still think it's a damn great time to be a star wars fan i agree i totally agree uh, Ken, you brought up the line of property in Florida and the swamps, and the first thing I thought about is there's probably still some prime real estate along the beaches of Scarif somewhere, even though part of it was blown up. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sure some people are more than willing to buy some timeshares with a half-blown circle right on the inside yeah. of Scarif there. Yeah. Um, uh... <laughs> but, but we'll see where that goes. That, there, there's our episode title right there. Um, but it, it's really great. I mean, I think, like you said, Ken, there's just so much great stuff on the horizon here. I'm so fascinated in what Benny Offenweiss has planned, man. I mean, 
Game of Thrones people mm. must be so. I know you're a big Game of Thrones person. Um, yeah, it, it is absolutely fascinating. I would love to see them do some Mando stuff. I'd love to see them really just break down some of the lore of Star Wars in in something. I mean, Man, yeah, Mando break. stuff is interesting. It'd be interesting if the guy who was pre Vizsla had something to say about that. Mmm. Mmm. Yeah, that that would be, huh? Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, Benny Hoff and Weiss, I know a lot of people call him for Old Republic, and, and I'm interested in finally getting that down, almost so we can get that over with, because I'm not a huge <laughs> Old Republic guy, right? Um, but I, I would like to see it, like, official, like, okay, cool, uh, you know, I've read some of Carpetian's books, and they're great, I mean, I don't want to, I, uh, I've never played the game, and people yell at me all the time online, play the game! Shook it, shook like, it, uh, shook it! <laughs> like, uh, the mid-90s, uh, I checked out after Jedi Academy. Uh, I was like, all right, this EU thing ain't for me. Uh, I'm going to, wh- what's the Star Wars version of Brexit? I'm like, I'm out of this EU. Um, and uh, just stuck to the movies. So. <laughs> Listen, as long as Benioff and Weiss don't bring back the Yuuzhan Vong, that's the only thing I'm, I, I'll be, that's I, the, yeah. Oof, 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 you're talking my language there. Uh, that, that's one of the worst creations ever. I'm sorry, with all due respect to people who are dropping their coffee right now, going, how did they, 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 <laughs> They're impervious to the force, and not like Tordarians or Jabba the Hutt. It destroys a lot of what George created. Uh, nope, nope. It's like bad improv. No and. It's like, come on. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I, br- I bring up the Yuuzhan Vong quickly because, I don't know. It's just one of those things. They're a little nitpicky things, Scott, of course. I, I mean, listen. Listen, if they just want if they just want to come out and say, "Here, you got a Darth Revan Black Series figure. Here you go. Here's Drew Carpetian's take on Darth Revan. You got the Black Series, you got the action figure, and here's a little something for you extra." Like that mm-hmm. that would be cool. I would like to see that. There are certain things that I really don't want to see. Yuuzhan Vong is one of them. The other thing is the Emperor's clone. I I don't know if I necessarily need that in Star Wars. <laughs> His son, the emperor's son, had a, a eye. It was named like Triclops or something like that. Like, like yeah. oh my gosh! Like, it goes Chewie being killed by a, being killed by a moon. It's like one of the top like, best things. It drives me crazy. And Dash Rendar's a horrible character. He's a literally they couldn't get Han Solo. All right, let's create somebody. Dash Rendar, yeah, he's almost got the Falcon. Oh my God, I, I, I just, it's not my thing. But, but I said, you know, it's funny, and I nitpick like crazy. Yeah. You know, I, I drives me crazy that Luke Skywalker walks into the Return of the Jedi meeting with Akbar Mothma, says a funny, uh, "Count me in too. I'm with you too." And then the meeting ends. <laughs> Did no one pull him aside? Hey Jedi, shut up. We got a meeting going on here. It just that I love, I love nitpicking Star Wars. I love you. I'll debate you on Vong with all of you with a smile on my face and a beer in my hand and a handshake and a hug for you because it's Star Wars. That's part of the fun and, yeah. and 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 so much stuff. People get held up on. Well, you know the, the, the science of Neil deGrasse uh. Tyson. Shut up. It's a space <laughs> fantasy. I don't care if the bombs fall or not. Like just let it happen. You know, it's it's a very valid point. I didn't even think about it. I mean, there's just so much. I mean, can you bring it up? Fantastic. Because I, there are so many situations that I get myself into when I go to Comic-Cons, even specifically with fans. And, of course, Brick City Blockade does panels at a lot of the cons here in the Northeast region. And a lot of the stuff we talk about sometimes is where are we going to have canon connections there? And there was actually a fan, I'm going to tell this story, we were sitting, and there's probably about uh, 90 people in the room at the time, and I'm talking with my co-founder, Sean Michaud, and one person stands up, 
And we're talking about, like, okay, if we're going to introduce different peoples, you know, if the possibility of introducing legends into canon, what would you like to see? Okay, number one, one guy stands up and says Yusan Vong, and I'm like, okay, let's end this panel right now. It's it's not okay. even worth continuing this panel. I need to go to the local bar and get a drink. <laughs> and then in the second part, somebody stood up and said specifically, well, you know what I would really like to see in the Star Wars universe that comes out from Legends? I would really love to see them canonize the moon that hit Chewbacca. <laughs> and at that point, I look over at Sean Michaud, and we have the <laughs> we have the PowerPoint all set up and everything. And I'm kind of like slowly moving myself off to the right towards the power PowerPoint presentation. And I'm like slowly undoing the laptop a little bit. And then I'm going to the back and I'm unplugging the projector a little bit. And everybody's like, what's going on here? And it's because there are certain things, like you said, Ken, there are certain things that in Star Wars that we do just have to leave alone. Leave it in the book. Do not touch it. And I think Scott and I can agree on that as well with talking far, far away and a lot of the canon stuff you talk about even, Scott, they're just things that just cannot be touched right now. Yeah, Chewie getting killed by a man, that's just, that just boggles my mind. How can you be killed by a moon? <laughs> I don't know. But, and look, and someone's out there, I guarantee someone's listening, uh, you know, hurt and offended that I, I don't like the EU or you don't like the EU. And, and, and that's, but don't get me wrong. Yeah. If you enjoy, those books still exist. You can still read them. They're fun, yeah. uh, and don't let it affect you. Like, that's literally, I read Kevin J. Anderson's third Jedi Academy book. I closed it. I was like, this is like 1995. I was like, I'm good. I'm done. And people will be like, oh, did you get this? Did you get Truce and Bakara and everything? Courtship of Princess Leia? Like, nope. I'm, I, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, and, right. and I went on my day. And then the prequels came out. And first I was like, okay. And then I kind of dug into them. So that's what, with what's going on now. If you don't like the new stuff, you don't like Disney stuff, that is, like you said up top, I can't stress enough. It is totally fine. Yeah. Just, yeah. just then go on living your life not worried about it. <laughs> just go on. Don't attack Kelly Marie Tran. Yeah, uh, no. That's not that. That's not fans. That that's beyond fans. That is that is people using fandom to 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 perpetuate their own uh, you know uh, views. So let's not you know I don't even want to give them credit for being bad fans. They're not fans at mm. all. But you know what I mean? Like yeah. just, just just go on living, man. Go on living. Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of my final thought here is that there is just so much Star Wars you can take in, Ken. There is just so much. You can go to Barnes & Noble. You can go to your local book setter, seller, setter. I don't I don't even know. Yeah. It's late at night here in the East Coast. I think that's part of it, Scott. No excuse. You're at 4 a.m. in Scotland, so I'll, I'll leave that one to you. But um, it's, it's one of those things. You can go to the bookstore. You can pick up the canon. If you just want to read the novels and that's your canon, go right ahead. Go right ahead. If you want to read the comic books and you want to dig into those Dark Horse comics, you want to talk about a little more about the Mandalorian lore specifically, if you want to go into the uh, the real, real deep stuff within the comic book stuff, go right into it. Enjoy that. That's your canon. There's so many different forms that we can all take on and enjoy. And even if you like the Legends books, let, let, I'll say it here. If you like the Yuuzhan Vong, go make them your canon. We're not telling you you can't. Just, just, just calm down for a second and think about it. That's, that's all we're gonna say about that. But uh, in the grand spectrum of it, there's so many different ways of enjoying Star Wars. Go out and enjoy it the way you're going to enjoy it. Make it your canon, and I think it's as simple as you know what. 
And and it's okay to pick on each other about it, but be nice. Be, you know, be be good Star Wars citizens, folks. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would like to see B. Arthur's character for the Holy Special come come back. That's yeah, good... yeah, Akmana. She, I mean, she's made canon officially and from a certain point of view. So let's have a new updated holiday special. I'm with you, Scott. Yeah, I want to see that. Uh, see somebody start saying in Star Wars. I want to see that. <laughs> All right, I, I can already see it now. Uh, Stephen Stanton as AP Five doing a Christmas special. You know, I yeah, I give. Even a lot of crap for that character singing, so I have no problem if he gets to do it again, though. <laughs> Steven, if you're listening, uh, I'll see you at dinner soon. We can sing together, I'm sure. Oh, wow. A Ken uh, Napsack. Yeah. <laughs> Ken Napsack. <laughs> Steven Stanton Christmas album. We're talking better than Seth MacFarlane himself. I he, love he it. He sings, sings one of the songs as Mieber Gascon. I'm on it. Ooh. I'm on it. Ooh, do it that... for charity. Yeah. I don't sing. I don't stink, sing, but if you can get Stanton to do AP5, Mieber Gascon, uh, uh, Kylo Ken Christmas single for charity, we'll do it. Oh. Or you can do kind of like the spoken word version while you're shouting at this, though. <laughs> exactly. Lucy in the sky with Diamond. <laughs> that, that would be fantastic. You'd be selling out albums left and right, and Walmart would have it on special for eight eighty eight, no problem. Absolutely. <laughs> oh man, this has been such a great conversation, not just about Star Wars, but about everything happening in the world and even in the galaxy far, far away. And it's that time of the show, whatever we do. It's a little thing we like to call, Mr. Ange. Plug time. Ah, that's right. It's plug time here at the BrickCityBlockade.com podcast network. Mr. Scott Inch, where can the good people find you across social media? You can find me on Facebook at Scott Inch. And on Twitter, Scottish85, and see me at my work on selling books. Yeah, selling those little canon novels right off the shelf to the Star Wars fandom. Mr. Ken Knapsack, where can the good people find you across social media? Uh, well, number one, thanks for having me back here. Uh, guys, I love fun talking Star Wars with you. Hope it wasn't too grumpy. Uh, you can follow me <laughs> at Ken Knapsack. That includes Twitch. I go on there, play Battlefront, yeah. Fortnite, Major League Baseball, wrestling, all those kinds. You can ask me Star Wars questions. And we got the Force Center podcast feed with me, Joseph Scrimshaw, Jennifer Landa. And I have the Knapsack Files Patreon feed as well. And a new show with Josh Bakuga called The Afternoons with Josh and Ken. It's out there as well. Find it where all good podcasts are available. Ah, wonderful. I love all of that fantastic stuff. Make sure to check it out. I love listening in to what Ken is doing across social media and on all those fantastic podcasts. I have to check out that Twitch stream, by the way, Ken. Obviously, if you're talking about Major League Baseball, my friend, then we're talking about a whole other category. Hey, man, I put on my MLB 18, the show. uh, I played my Yankees in the franchise mode, and it's a lot of fun. People come in and watch me uh, swing badly at sliders. <laughs> Those sliders in the MLB the show are pretty rough, man. Whew, they fly right on by. You guys can follow me over on Twitter at Mr. Vote Tweets. Please make sure to check out the BrickCityBlockade.com podcast network over there at BrickCitySWPC. Make sure to check out the brand new www.BrickCityBlockade.com for everything happening in a galaxy far, far away. Also, please make sure to head on over to Public and pick up one of our awesome designs. Of course, we have the AP5 Rebels musical t-shirt that's available. And we even have a couple of new designs that you guys can check out over there 
which uh, we're going to be adding on, and we're going to be doing some specials with Public coming up very soon, so keep it locked on that. And, of course, if you want to listen to the show and you want to get your insight into what we do here at the Podcast Network, make sure to head on over to iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio. Make sure to listen to us across all those fantastic streams. It helps support Unity as community, bring on epic guests and recurring guests, much like Mr. Ken Knapsack, who we always love to have on, and keeps these conversations going in a galaxy not too, too far away. Thanks, guys, so much for listening to Talking Far, Far Away here from the BrickCityBlockade.com podcast network. And as we always say, may the force be with you. Always. Always.